Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Today's reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 1 to 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection. So we're in a series here at Renew on the Beatitudes. Remember, the Beatitudes are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Think of it as a preamble to Jesus' kingdom manifesto. He's really giving a pathway for us, his disciples, to walk in the kingdom. There, there's, there's this word, blessed, which is makarios. Again, that means, you know, I would call it stoked like the gods. Like super blessed, super happy, super fulfilled um, are those who walk on this path. And this sermon as a whole, and the Beatitudes in particular, is God bravely declaring his terms, which makes people whole. It's not something we learn about, some kind of head knowledge that we just want to get into our minds so that we can kind of spit it out in a class or write it down in our notes. It's literally a path that Jesus is inviting us to enter into. Think of it kind of like a spiritual red carpet where it's literally going to lead us into and along and towards and within the kingdom of God itself. It's a path to walk. It's a path to live. It's a path to embody. It's a path to indwell. And if I might mix my metaphors, it's a path to become. There's a book that we're reading called The Ninefold Path which talks about how indeed it is a way to live and move and have our being. 
And the wild thing about this path is Jesus is the path himself. He's the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He's not trying to say, this is the path to me, although that's true. It's more, this is the path of, with me. The Gospel of Matthew, if you think about it, is the story of how Jesus lives out this path. How he not only exemplifies it, but is this path perfectly lived. And it's not something just for us to reflect on from afar. Jesus is inviting us into this very path itself. Jesus is each and every one of these Beatitudes completely. I learned recently that even in the Eastern Orthodox Church, one of the highest levels of church leadership, they call that leader your Beatitude. And it's a reflection on the fact that actually we... We want to more and more and more become these very beatitudes that Jesus has laid out for us. So where are we on this path today? We're pretty far along it as far as the series is, con con is concerned. We have looked at and considered what it means to be poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Those who are meek, that they would inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that they would be filled. Those who are merciful, that they would be shown mercy. Those who are pure in heart or live wholeheartedly. Last week, if you haven't listened to that message or any of these, go back and listen to them. Um, there's so much good there. We are on number seven this week. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. In reflecting upon this passage and this beatitude this week. If there's nothing else that you hear, it would simply be this. We are called and invited and commissioned to be peacemakers wherever we go. We'll look a little bit at how we tend to be peace breakers or peace fakers. That, that happens to all of us. But we are called and invited to be peacemakers. And as we are peacemakers, we are called children of God. So what is peace? I couldn't help but think of that 1970s bumper sticker that you saw all in green, world peas, pray for world peas. Like, anyway, you know what I'm saying. Um, but what is peace? We know what it is, um, but I want to kind of talk about it a little bit just to kind of stoke our thinking. Peace is certainly nothing less than a resolution of tension but it's so much more. Peace is a robust and well-formed wholeness of all things. Peace is a state that's marked by harmony and calm and serenity and agreement and unity and stability and belonging and resonance and cooperation and synergy and restoration and oneness. It really is this Hebrew word shalom, the fullness of how things are meant to be. Relationally, socially, politically, economically, environmentally, every lee you can imagine, it's as it should be. And Jesus 
came to not only show the way, but be the way in renewing all things. And so the church itself is called the church because it's based on this Greek word ekklesia, ek, out, and uh, kaleo, which is called, called out and set apart for God's kingdom, shaloming. You and I, as followers, followers of Jesus, I don't know if this is a, an already coined term, but we're shalomers. We ought to be shaloming everywhere we go. Renew San Diego is a church that recognizes that things are not yet as they should be, but we seek to be a people, whether young or old, rich or poor, progressive or conservative, whatever it might be, looking to and deferring to Jesus on the path of peace. Jesus himself is called the Prince of Peace. The one who is and brings shalom. And when Jesus is the center of our collective focus, our differences are displaced to the margins. In Colossians chapter um, 3, no, this is not Colossians 3. 2 Corinthians 5, this is what Paul says. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. We don't think of people in the world's categories anymore. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer that way. When we say yes to being a follower of Jesus, when we respond to his invitation in the kingdom way, when we seek to set foot on the pathway in a beatitudinal way of being, we are foregoing all the other categories of making sense of things and we are letting Jesus define how our humanity is to be restored to its original intent. And being a shalom bringer is at the center of that. So a quick sidebar. If that's the case, why don't we do it? The biblical reason that we struggle to be peace bringers, um, shalomers, if you will, is because our hearts have have put their, staked their claim on something other than God. And it's called idolatry. And idolatry is any desire that has grown into a consuming demand that rules our hearts. It's something that we feel we must have to be happy or fulfilled or secure. To put it another way, it's something we love or fear or trust more than God and his kingdom. Jesus frees us from the tyranny of idolatry to reconcile and restore us and all things to God. In Colossians 1, Paul writes that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. This is a long introduction to peacemaking, but I want our focus to be on Jesus because without him, not just as an example, but without his power flowing through us by the Spirit, this peacemaking venture gets 
derailed quickly. Again, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, So if anybody is in Christ, there's a new creation. Everything old is passing away. Everything uh, new has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So, what does walking the path of peacemaking look like? Well, let's begin with our closest relationships. I am someone, I'm sure very much unlike you, who um, has challenges in my personal relationships at times. Conflicts, tensions, um, rubbing people the wrong way. How do I know, how do I know if I need to make peace with someone? Um, in the Ninefold Path book that we're looking at in community group, um, we're told that the author tells us he feels an uh in his stomach. Now, for some of us, it might be somewhere else. Maybe it's in our chest or maybe it's in our breathing. But he says, oh, when I feel that sinking sense in my stomach as I think about this person, it may be a sign to me that there's some peacemaking that needs to happen. He says our bodies alert us to these relational tensions. And we can go to someone and say, are you okay? Did I do something to offend you? I have found nine times out of ten, I know that I have probably done something to offend them. Or even harder sometimes, they've done something to offend me. Maybe we've wronged someone, maybe they've wronged us. But most of these situations uh, can be small, everyday things. Someone who didn't wash the dishes and just left them in there after they've been told a few times to do it. I'd like to say that's, you know, me with my kids, but sometimes it's my kids need to tell me. And on it goes. Sometimes, however, the stories are bigger. Um, I may have shared this before, but it's such a good story, I might try to share it again. When I was doing <clears throat> ministry in Colorado, we started a Gangs to Jobs program to help those who had been in gangs to get off the streets and get into first-time jobs and to be able to move forward with their lives. To qualify for our program, you needed to have either dropped out of high school, been involved in gangs, and or had a felony. Most of our clients were all three. After the time of ministry in Colorado was done, I learned later that one of the men, that the program still goes, it's called uh, Jobs of Hope Colorado. I, there was a documentary made by one of our graduates. His name is Nico, which is short for Nicolas. And this documentary is such an incredible story. Nico indeed had been, gotten involved in gangs as a young man. And when he was in his late teens, he was in a violent skirmish with another gang uh, group and shot a gang member from one of these rival gangs um, and wounded him severely in the leg. Well, finally, Nico does all of his time. He gets out of the gangs. He finally gets out of, of prison, and he finds our program. And through our program, he finds Jesus, and Jesus finds him. Well, one day, he's at an auto parts store, Nico is, and he hears, hey, homie. And he thinks, uh-oh. And he looks, and it's the cousin of the man he shot. 
And Nico says, oh, tell your cousin, I am so sorry. I had no right to do what I did. And, and this man in the, in the parts store says, oh, no, my cousin's hard-headed. He ain't going to take that. And leaves. Nico went to one of uh, the pastors in our, in our ministry and said, what do I do? I just saw the cousin and, and, and all of these things goes on. And the, the pastor had the wherewithal to say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And Nico said, that's cool, but what should I do? <laughs> and so they looked together and said, do you have, is there a way that you can find who this person is? They went on Facebook and actually found the victim that he had shot. And they laid, he laid down this really nice uh, message and note and basically said, I had no right to do what I did. I hope that you're, what can I do to make things right? This kind of thing and sends it with his contact information, his phone number. Next thing you know, he gets a phone call. And the, the guy says, I want to meet you. I want to meet you. And so Nico looks back to the pastor and says, well, what do I do? You reach out your hand. Blessed are the peacemakers. Well, you know, this could go either way. And so he decides that he's going to go and meet with this, this person. And he goes and he waits. And the man drives up. And he's got a limp. He's still in recovery. He's had tons of surgeries. And just, and Nico says this. He says, man, it takes a real man, that's how he's thinking about it, it takes a man to forgive somebody. But it takes even more to ask for forgiveness when you know that you've done wrong. And this person that he shot, you know, said, what you did wasn't right. I've been, uh, all of these bills and all that's going on. And they, they have a conversation back and forth. And Nico said, whatever it takes, what is it that I can do? I was wrong. And the man said, I've got one more bill that's coming up. If you pay my medical bill, we're good. God had gone before him, and Nico said, I get paid this Friday. <laughs> Tell me where I need to take the money. They were reconciled. They've become friends. They work on cars together. It's a beautiful story of redemption. A young man who couldn't tell you the difference between the Beatitudes and where all of those pieces, but who followed Jesus and said, I'm going to be a peacemaker because they're called children of God. I don't know about you, but I don't need too many stories like that to keep me going. I don't need too many more stories like that to help me remember that what Jesus is inviting us to is a life of wholeness. So these are interpersonal stories, but we have corporate conflict as well, don't we? Uh, you've maybe noticed that we have issues in places of our work, political, social, international, religious there are conflicts and tensions everywhere. It started in the garden, ultimately between Adam and Eve and God, and then Adam and Eve and each other, then Adam and Eve's kids with each other, which we'll talk about towards the end of our message today. Friends, if there was a time and a place for peace, it is now. It is now. And a peacemaker is someone who looks beyond the categories and conflicting strategies and values that are on the surface of things, and they see the possibility for restoration and reconciliation and renewal. The best course that I took in seminary, hands down, was called the Basic Institute in Conflict Management and Reconciliation. I went to a Mennonite school that's known for their, their peacemaking, um, their pacifism, and they had creatively 
been working on a week-long intensive with the title that I just gave you. And the reason it was so wonderful is it wasn't just theory. They gave us a thick notebook. Actually, my wife is sitting here. Can you pull that notebook up for people to see? In one week, they gave us this huge notebook of all these things. But it was like ready to go, like plug and play ready. Like as soon as you read through this, you're like, oh, there are dozens of ways that I can apply what's in this, in this material right away. I wanna, one of the things that they gave us was this little card. And this little card has four different little pictures on it. I'll just describe it to you. I want to give it to you because I want to frame for us um, a little bit about peacemaking before we move on. They said there are only four ways to resolve conflict. You might have two despairing parties. That could be individuals. It can be groups of people. If one of those despairing parties has all of the power, maybe they're bigger, maybe they're wealthier, maybe they're stronger, maybe they're meaner, whatever it is, if they have all the power and they can just make the decision against the other party, that's one way you can resolve conflict. I call it domination. Not really great for relationships, but it's a way that, you might notice that it's a way the world tries to work out its differences sometimes. Uh, that happened in the first, very first day I, when I was a school teacher, there was a fight in my classroom, but that's another story. You can ask me about that another time. But then there's another way, a second category, right, where you have two despairing parties, and neither of those two parties have the power to resolve the conflict, but there's a third party over here that has all the power. Think of our court system, plaintiff and defendant, so-and-so against the state of California. It might be a judge, it might be a jury, but they're the ones that have all the power to actually figure out how we're going to move forward. That's arbitration, where the power of the decision of what's going to happen is not resting with the two people. Third, you've got two parties that are against each other or have some issue. They share the power between them, but they're not sure how to get from point A to point Z of resolution. You got a third party over here. They don't have the decision-making power, but they've got the skill set to help these despairing parties work things out. That's called mediation. It's an amazing, amazing way for people to come to resolution. And then the last, of course, is two despairing parties. They have all the power. They figure out how to do it together. Oy vey, they call it cooperation. It's a beautiful thing when it happens. It's a beautiful thing. when it, Those are the only four ways you're going to resolve conflicts, interpersonal, corporate. Think about that. And the more that you go towards the last one, the better and better the relationship gets. The more, the more harmony there is, the more power there is in the midst of working that out together. Well, in this course, they told us a story of this where we were at the time in Fresno, North Fresno, there was this new building project, this new, um, yeah, this new development that was going on by the river. So you had all of these developers that were working on this multi-million dollar beautiful development project, and they were at loggerheads with the environmentalists who were really concerned about certain things in the wildlife around that river. As you can imagine, they had locked horns, and they were about to go to full-scale litigation, which we would call arbitration, right? Somebody else is going to make the decision. They were prepared to spend millions of dollars over probably months and months, if not years, of litigation around the issue. One of the directors of this class got a phone call from one of the leaders from one of the groups. I don't remember which. I think it was one of the developers. And they said, we're about to go to full-scale litigation with this other group. Would you meet with us? Kind of last chance thing. In four days, 
Both sides had an agreement with each other that they were so excited about that they celebrated in a dinner downtown Fresno. Four days. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemaking or shaloming is proactive engagement in situations of discord and strife. Another ministry that I want to make you aware of, if you're not, is called the Peacemakers. Um, pretty, pretty good name. It's called peacemakerministries.org. There's a guy named Ken Sandy that wrote a book called The Peacemaker, a biblical guide to resolving personal conflict. And in it, he has something called a slippery slope, if you can imagine kind of a, a semicircle in different ways to resolve conflict. And over here on your right are kind of the aggressive ways, the peace-breaking ways, if you will. Um, attack responses, where people power up, where there's things like assault or full-scale litigation, even murder. On the left side, over here, what I, are what I would call the peace-faking responses or the escape responses, denial, flight, even suicide. But in the middle are the peacemaking responses, where we can overlook. Sometimes we just need to overlook things, where we work towards reconciliation, negotiation, and mediation, and accountability. But in it, in this book, I want to read this back full circle to this idol piece. He says, if you are presently involved in a conflict, these questions may help you apply the principles presented in this particular chapter in terms of the heart in your situation. Just let these, think, let these considerations wash over you as you think about potential conflicts, either in your past or currently. Number one, Work backwards through the progression of an idol to identify the desires that are controlling your heart. Ask yourself these questions. How am I punishing others? How am I judging others? What am I demanding to have? What is the root desire of that demand? Or two, what makes you think that you need or deserve to have any of the things that you, of these desires uh, to be satisfied? Number three, in order to more clearly identify your idols, desires that are turned into demands, ask yourself these questions. What am I preoccupied with? What is the first thing on my mind in the morning or the last thing at night? How would I fill, fill in this blank? Quote, if only blank, then I'd be happy, fulfilled, and secure. Or, what do I want to preserve or avoid at any cost? Or, where do I put my trust? What do I fear? When a certain desire is not met, do I feel frustration or anxiety, resentment, bitterness, anger, or depression? Is there something I desire so much that I'm willing to disappoint or hurt others in order to have it? How are your expectations of others magnifying your demands on them and your disappointment in their failure to meet your desires? How are you judging those who do not meet your desires? Are you feeling indignation, condemnation, bitterness, resentment, or anger? How are you punishing those who do not meet your desires? What was... What has God done to deliver you from your idols? What can you do to receive that deliverance? How can you cultivate a more passionate love for and worship of God? Go on record with the Lord by writing a prayer based on the principles taught in this chapter. One of the things that Jesus says in his sermon is take the log out of your own eye before taking the speck out of your brother or sisters. That is so hard to do. That is so hard to do. 
it's hard to even believe that what's in our own eye is a log. Boy, it sure looks like a log in that other person or other entity's eye when we feel, when we feel justified. So friends, being peacemakers, <laughs> it's messy business, but it is so glorious. It is so of the kingdom. You may be aware that there is a, a monastery not too far from here, outside of Oceanside, called the Prince of Peace Abbey. It is a place where there's these Benedictine monks that have been there a long time. If you haven't been there, it's off the 76, just off the 5. doesn't take long to get there. As you walk into their sanctuary space and walk out, there's just scripture everywhere. And one of the scriptures on the door says, My peace I leave you, my peace I give you. It comes from the scripture where Jesus says, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. As we consider being a follower of Jesus, we are invited, yea, we're commanded to be peacemakers. And as we do so, we're going to be transformed. But as we do so, the world will be transformed. And the Prince of Peace himself will empower us to love as he loves and to make peace as he makes peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, when we consider the cross, even looking at the crucifix at the front of the sanctuary, we see that you have given your life to make peace with the world. Lord Jesus, will you, in who you are, by their spirit, make us not peace breakers or peace fakers, but restore us to being peacemakers, shalom bringers, wherever we go. Amen.